The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. Hey, so glad to see you, City Rev Church. Glad that we are gathered here together, and we are in part two of our series, The Power of Awe. And uh, I was reflecting this week on the impact that the quarantine has had on me personally, and I hit a new level of boredom this week. And I was just one night, there's nothing left to watch on Netflix, There, I didn't know who to talk to, and so I was on the ESPN app, and I just, I mean, it's like I went down the rabbit hole, okay? Like I was reading all of these articles, and I was like halfway through this article, and like I was mesmerized, okay? I couldn't stop reading this article, and I just stopped for a second, and I said, I am currently reading an article about a baseball card. And I realized, okay, this, is, this has gotten bad. But the problem was I couldn't stop reading about this one particular baseball card. It was a, an article about a Topps 1987 Don Mattingly card. And on the back of the card, it said this. Here's, here's the back of this card. It says, under his stats, it says this. Don's birth certificate states he was born in 1962, not 1961 as shown in most baseball records. And so this entire article was a group of journalists that were hunting down the mystery behind that one statement on that baseball card. Now, I don't know what was mesmerizing more or what was more incredible, that that one fact or the fact that these journalists cared that much to research that. I mean, and these guys went to the very bottom of this mystery, okay? They, they found out who wrote the back of that baseball card. The guy had already passed away so they contacted his son. They contacted his boss. They were trying to get like, what does that mean? Because every other baseball card and all other baseball records say that Don Mattingly was born in 1961. What is this about 1962? And these journalists would not stop. They were, they were going to get to the bottom of this mystery. They were even pulling records from the state that he was born in. And it comes down to this. He was, in fact, born in 1961. But there was this one moment, it was right the season right before this baseball card came out, and Don Mattingly was in a hitting slump. And so after every single game, he would have these reporters. And one after another, they keep asking him about his slump. They kept asking him, like, man, why didn't you have as many hits this game? What's happening with your batting average? It's going down. Like, they kept asking him about a slump, asking about a slump, and asking about a slump, and he just couldn't take it anymore. Because it was making him worse and worse. It wasn't helping him get out of his slump. They're just reminding him about how bad his hitting was at that time. So his birthday was right around the corner. And so when the reporters came around, he changed the subject and said, I keep telling everyone that my birthday is in, is in 1962, but they keep saying it's 1961. And that was enough of a story to get the media at that time researching what this was that was different and that they stopped talking about his slump. And right after that, once the attention was off of him and his poor hitting, he got out of his slump. He actually had a great rest of the season and really set, set his, made history with his career. Now, what I think is so interesting about that story is there's this dynamic that we can get so focused in our own negativity. We can get so focused on the negative things that are happening in our lives that that actually keeps us in 
our slump, so to speak. So I don't know about you, maybe uh, through this season, you know, of this, the kind of the, the mystery of what's going to happen, maybe the, the fear of the unknown, maybe it's got you in a slump. And maybe you say, look, it's just, I'm so stressed, I'm so afraid, I'm so panicking. Or maybe it's brought up things, that, man, I'm just so disappointed that this happened. I'm so, you know, I'm so worried about this. I'm disappointed in myself. I'm worried about this part of my life or that part of my life. And you find yourself in a slump. Well, there's one thing that is unusually powerful about getting us out of our slump. It's when we can get our attention off of ourselves onto something greater. And sometimes that just refocus has an incredible power. In this series about awe, about being awestruck by God, that is one of the unusual, unusual powers of being awestruck. Is that it gets us off thinking about ourselves. It gets us off thinking about our negative circumstances. It gets us off thinking about all the things that, we, that we're struggling with. And it gets our attention back on, on something that is worth our striking our awe in our lives. We're looking at two Psalms. Psalm 111 and Psalm 112. They are a set. And we're picking through Psalm 112. But we're, we're laying down and reading through Psalm 111. These are short psalms. We're reading through Psalm 111 because it lays a foundation. And the way these two psalms work together are really powerful. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to start our time of Bible study here by just reading through Psalm 111. So I just want you to hear the psalm. Mark Anthony, you want to read through Psalm 111 for us? Yes, I can. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty in his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works. In giving them the inheritance of the nations, the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Thank you. So Psalm 111 is a beautiful psalm, and it's got this soaring language about who God is. It kind of crescendos at the, at the end by saying he is holy and awesome. But it's a soaring language. It talks about all that God has done. It talks about all the works of his hands that we see. We see the power of his hand. And it just lifts up all through this psalm. It lifts up who God is. In fact, here's how this psalm works. It's very poetic. It starts with this phrase, praise the Lord, which is in ancient Hebrew, the word hallelujah. That's where we get that word from. It means praise the Lord. It starts with that word, praise the Lord. And then it's got 22 lines after that. One line for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so the very first word of each line, the very first letter of that word, is a corresponding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's like an acrostic going from beginning to end. And it's like it's communicating, Psalm 111 is communicating God's glory, his majesty, his brilliance, his power, 
The things he does for us, his love for us, is just incredible. He, it's, he, is, he is awesome from A to Z, so to speak. And this psalm is just explaining how incredible God is in this very poetic format of this acrostic. And then at the very end, after it said he is holy and awesome, then it says this. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now that word fear and the word awesome, just like one verse apart, that is the same word in the ancient Hebrew. So they come from the same root. So another way that you could translate that to kind of get that sense is essentially to say the Lord is awesome and those who are awestruck have found the beginning of wisdom. So our reaction to an awesome God is to be awestruck. It's the same word. God is awesome and we are awestruck. Now what it says there is the beginning of wisdom is to be awestruck. Now before the uh, pandemic um, in the quarantine, I was coaching my son in soccer. He is five years old, and so I was coaching four- and five-year-old soccer. That does not require a lot of soccer knowledge to coach that age group in soccer. It does, however, require a lot of patience. And that is the one skill you need to coach that age group. And so when they showed up for their first day of practice, we just started with the basics, and I just would start with this. I'd look at each one of them, and I'd say, okay, guys, boys, everyone come around, take a knee. I'm like, you don't know how to take a knee. Okay, just let's get the general area here, okay? And I said, okay, rule number one, okay, do not touch the soccer ball. What's rule number one? Don't touch the soccer ball. And we would talk about that every single practice, every single game. is one of the first things I said, do not touch the soccer ball. And inevitably, about once a game, whether on our team or on the other team, there'd be some kid on defense looking at dragonflies floating around. The ball would roll by his feet and he goes, oh, and he'd go down and he'd pick it up. And the look on the coach's face was just total just demoralization. I mean, as a coach, you're just like, I've realized I have literally taught you nothing. Like you have not learned anything in all of the weeks I've worked with you because the rule number one, I mean basics, the beginning of soccer, do not touch the soccer ball. That is the number one rule. Here's what Psalm 111 is essentially saying. Hey, here is what, if you're, if you're talking about the category of wisdom, if you're talking about the category of knowledge, here is the 101 level. This is the don't touch the soccer ball of wisdom being awestruck by God. It's the very beginning. You want to lay a foundation so that you can be a wise person, I can be a wise person. The foundation you lay is being awestruck by God. It's this beautiful psalm about all the things that God has done, all the things that strikes awe in our hearts, all the things that make him awesome. And then it says at the very end, so step one of being a wise human, be awestruck by God. Now, this is how Psalm 112 then pairs with this. And there's a couple things about these psalms that you can tell that they work together as a set. Psalm 112 works exactly the same as Psalm 111. It starts, its first word is the word hallelujah. Then it has 22 lines. It is also uh, an acrostic with the ancient Hebrew alphabet. And what's interesting is when you place them side by side, 
it's fascinating how the lines, how line 2 over here corresponds with line 2 over here, how line 3 in Psalm 111 corresponds with line 3 of Psalm 112. And they, the way that they kind of interpret each other is very powerful. What is Psalm 100, if Psalm 111 is about God, what is Psalm 112 about? Here's what it says. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. There's that word awestruck. Blessed is the man who is, or the person who is awestruck by God, who greatly delights in his commandments. Whereas Psalm 111 is all about God and how awesome he is. Psalm 112 is what happens in our lives when we are awestruck by God. And it says we are blessed in our lives. There is a tangible impact on our lives when we are awestruck by God. And then it goes right through the Hebrew alph alphabet explaining all of the ways that we are impacted by being awestruck by God. The way it plays out. The reflexes that we have when we're awestruck by God. So, let's pick it up in verse 5. Let me read a couple of these verses. Here's what it says. This is what the life of someone who's awestruck by God looks like. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. There are two reflexes in here for the person that is awestruck by God. The first one is that that person will have a reflex of generosity. Someone who's awestruck by God will have a reflex of generosity. Now, what is the opposite of generosity? The opposite of generosity would be hoarding. Generosity is giving something from myself for the sake of another. Hoarding is gathering for myself at the expense of another. So, I don't know if you've ever seen any hoarding lately, but let me just paint a picture for you. Imagine a hypothetical situation. You walk into the grocery store. You're just looking for the basic necessities that you need in your house, and you think, you know what, I, you know what my house needs right now? We're almost out of, I don't know, toilet paper. And you go walking through the grocery store, you round the corner, there you expect to find racks and racks full of toilet paper, and there is none. The, the racks are empty. Now, I don't know if you've maybe imagined such a world, but this may shock you, that has actually happened before. That's right, the 1973 toilet paper shortage. In 1973, there was a, a congressman from Wisconsin and he was giving a speech and he made an offhanded comment where he said, you know, next we'll have to be getting ready for a toilet paper shortage. There was nothing. It was just a joke. It was an offhanded comment. Well, the writers on the Johnny Carson show took that quote and wove it into Johnny Carson's monologue. And so Johnny Carson did a whole bit about the pending toilet paper shortage which caused 20 million of his viewers to panic, immediately go to the grocery store and buy up all of the toilet paper. 
to which they had to issue many, not only did toilet paper companies have to issue uh, statements, there is no toilet paper shortage. Johnny Carson had to issue a statement. So that is actually something crazy, like a toilet paper shortage has actually happened before. See, here's the thing about hoarding. Hoarding triggers more hoarding. When someone else is hoarding, now I feel like I need to hoard. So I had a friend that right at the beginning of the, the quarantine when, you know, you're not sure what you're going to find at the grocery store. I had a friend, he said, man, I went to the grocery store and I saw this lady. She had filled her shopping cart with gallons of water. It's like, water? The coronavirus is not in our water system. Why is she hoarding water? What, is this like a, it's not a hurricane. Okay, like why is she hoarding water? And he's like, that's silly. And then he confessed to me, he said, and then my next thought was, maybe I should be hoarding water. <laughs> And he all of a sudden had this panic. I need to go get another shopping cart. I need to get water before all the water's out. What if I need water and the water's gone? Okay, see, hoarding triggers more hoarding. What hoarding is, is I take for myself at the expense of another because I'm looking out for myself. What generosity is just the opposite. I give potentially at the expense of myself for the sake of another. See, hoarding triggers hoarding. But generosity actually, actually triggers generosity. Hold that thought for a second. What this is saying is when, when we are awestruck, when someone is awestruck by God, there's a reflex for generosity. But then it says something else. There's also a reflex for justice. Now all of us, we all love justice when it's about us. We all want justice when it's, we want our fair share. We all want justice when it's for our sake. But that's not necessarily a passion for justice. That might just be a passion for ourselves. A passion for justice is when I see an injustice that doesn't even affect me. But I'm alarmed and I take steps to ensure that that injustice is rectified. See, both a passion for justice and a heart for generosity, they're both a reflex of being awestruck and they both come from the same place selflessness. Hoarding is selfish and only caring about justice for my life. That comes from a place of selfish. But when I have a true passion for just justice and a true passion for generosity, that comes from a place of selflessness. That is a reflex of the person who is awestruck by God. Now there's more, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. Hold that thought. There's more in here. here. Let's keep going. Let's pick it up in verse 7. The person who is awestruck by God, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. I'll just stop there. Here's what it says. I love what it says there, that it says the person who's awestruck by God is not afraid of bad news. What a great statement. It says his heart is firm and it's steady in trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. It doesn't matter what happens around him. He is firm, steady. He's not afraid of getting bad news. There's something that awestruck does that keeps us steady. We're going to talk more about that next week in part three of the power of awe. But I want you to take a look at what it says in verse nine because he picks up that same theme of generosity again. 
Um, look what he says in verse 9. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. The person who is awestruck by God, again, has that reflex of generosity, and those works are remembered and celebrated forever. They have an impact that's lasting. Generosity at its core will be saying no to something in order to say yes to something else. Uh, I have a friend, we had an interesting conversation once, and my friend was saying, look, I just, I struggle to be on time to places. Just, I, I struggle with my punctuality. I just, I've never, I never can be on time. I turn things in late. And I said, oh man, he's like, I'm really struggling. You know, I feel like it's affecting my job. And, and I'm just working on just, uh, you know, like just being on time place and getting things on on time. I'm like, well, man, what's the problem? You're just struggling with time management. And he said this, I thought this was so interesting. He said, no, my problem is I'm a time optimist. I said, you're a time optimist? What does that mean? He's like, look, I'm not lazy. I don't procrastinate. I'm just a time optimist. But my problem is I believe I can get so much more done than I can actually get done. I'm trying to do way too many things. And so I'm, I'm always late on everything. I'm not getting anything in on time. I'm always running around doing too much and I can never get to a place on time. And so we had this interesting conversation about how we have a limited amount of time. So when you're saying yes to something, you are going to be saying no to something else. The same works with our limited financial resources. To say yes to one thing financially is to say no to something else financially. What generosity is, I love the way this puts it. It's so beautiful here. What it says here is someone who's generous is saying no to something that is temporal and very quickly fades in order to say yes to something that will have an eternal and lasting impact. To say yes to something that will leave a legacy behind them. Why? Because what this is saying is the person who's awestruck will have a reflex of generosity. Well, how, how does being awed by God create a reflex of selflessness, a reflex of generosity, a reflex that desires justice? How does being awestruck by God create that? Well, to understand that, we've got to see how Psalm 111 and the corresponding phrases in Psalm 111 help us and bring a richness out of Psalm 112. So for example, look at verse 9 in Psalm 111. It says, um, he has commanded his covenant forever. And then in the same phrase in Psalm 112, it says about the person who's awestruck, his righteousness endures forever. There's a sense in the eternal nature of how God works in his relationship with humanity and in the same way he calls us to serve humanity in a way that will have a lasting impact forever. It's the same word forever in both those verses. In, in the same phrase in verse 9 in Psalm 111, it says, holy and awesome is his name. And it says that about the Lord. And then it says about the person who's awestruck by God. It says, when they do these righteous acts to serve other people, his horn is exalted in honor. So there's this exalting language about God. And then there, it talks about how the person who's awestruck by God will be exalted. There's this correspondence between Psalm 111 and 112. Let me take it one step further. Okay, look again. At the, at the line in verse 5, the first line in verse 5 of Psalm 111, here's what it says. It says about the awesome ways of God. He provides food for those who fear him. And then the same line in Psalm 112, line verse 5, 
Um, it's, it is well with the man who deals generously in lens. In other words, all that to say this. When I am awestruck by God, I know that he is the provider in my life. I know that he's going to provide for me. I rest in the fact that he's going to provide for me. In fact, we just did a whole series on God as the provider. When I, when I realize that he is capable and will provide for me every day, every step of the journey, when I am settled with the fact that he is my provider, when I know that he is my provider, when I trust that he's my provider, even when everything around me looks like he's not going to provide, when I'm, when I'm struck by awe at the awesomeness of God's capacity to provide for me, then of course, I feel total freedom to be generous. I don't need a hoard. I don't need to gather all everything here for me and hold on to it because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to need this. I rest in the fact that I know who is going to provide for me. And when I rest to know who's going to provide for me, then my reflex will be, I'm going to give generously to those who need it around me. Look at the first line in verse 9 of 111. It says about the awesomeness of the Lord. He sent redemption to his people and now look what it says about those who are awestruck by the Lord in Psalm 112, verse 9. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. Think about this. When I am awestruck by the redemption that God has given me in my life, man, that affects how I handle the people around me. Because what did it look like for my redemption? My redemption is the single greatest act of generosity that could be comprehended in the universe. The Son of God leaves heaven, comes down to earth. Why? Because each one of us are lost, fallen in our sin, and deserving, justly deserving of an eternity away from God for eternity. And because he loves us, the Son of God himself, God in the flesh, came down to earth, was rejected and mocked and tortured and killed. And while he's hanging on a cross, crucified, he absorbs anguish like no human could possibly imagine. The holy, perfect Son of God absorbed all the wrath that my sin and your sin deserved. He experienced the absolute anguish of taking the wrath of God, being separated from God the Father and taking our guilt and shame. See, the, the incredible act of my redemption is the single greatest act of generosity. I received my salvation I received forgiveness. I received eternity in heaven, not by my good deeds, but by the work of what Jesus did because he loves me, something I don't deserve. I didn't earn. Jesus expended his life. The Son of God expended himself to purchase my soul so he could spend eternity with me. 
my redemption, when I realize the redemption of our awesome God, I realize it is the greatest act of generosity. Of course, if I am now following after Jesus, and I'm, I am bearing his name of Jesus Christ, I'm bearing the name Christian, of course, and, and I'm following after him, and he says, take up your cross and follow after me. Of course, then, one of the most fundamental markers of my life will be generosity. It's not going to be an extra. It's not going to be something for some Christians and not others. I mean, if my redemption was this tremendous, cosmic, eternity-shifting act of generosity, then that will be a, ref a reflex in my life because generosity triggers generosity. The generosity of God the Father in my life, the generosity of Jesus Christ in my life, triggers my generosity to the people around me. You know, one of the powers, powerful things of awe is it gets us out of our slump. Because in a moment like this, when there's all kinds of things that we struggle with, all kinds of things that we wonder about, all kinds of things that we're disappointed with, that we're grieving about, that we're stuck in our worry and our panic and our fears and we're self-consumed with all the things going on, what awe does is it helps us get our minds out of, off of ourselves and onto something that is worthy of our awe, something that's stunning and glorious and beautiful and wonderful. And when we put our attention on God, then he shifts our attention on others. Here's what I want to challenge us with this week, uh, church, City Rev. I want to challenge us in, in a moment in our in history, when all the world's reflex is to hoard, because we don't know what's going to go off the economy, because we don't know what's going to happen with, our, with the industry we work in, we don't know what's going to happen with this, we don't know what happens with that, and so our instinct is to hoard. Christian, can I challenge you to live a life like a complete alien and stranger in this world? And because of your awe for Almighty God, have a reflex not to hoard, but have a reflex of generosity. Have a reflex because you know who God is. You know that who is your provider because you, you know of what he has done in your life that in, because you know that he's going to take care of you. Have a reflex to be the instrument of God to have, any, have a lasting impact on those around you, maybe even an impact for all of eternity. I want to challenge us, City Rev., to be a church that is marked in this season, marked by, our, by generosity. Let me give you three ways I want to challenge you to be generous. Here's the first one. Be generous towards your neighbor. Be generous towards those people around you in your life. You probably, each one of us probably knows someone who's going through a difficult time. Maybe you know someone who's lost their job. Maybe you know someone that you know, is, is worried, things are tight in their family, find a way to be generous. Maybe you send them a card with a, with a gift card in it. Maybe it's anonymous. Maybe you just say, hey, your heavenly father loves you. This is, I'm giving you this on his behalf. Maybe it's not anonymous. Maybe you, you look them right in the eye and say, look, I know that this isn't much, but I just want, I just want to give this to you just so you know that I love you and, and I'm going to walk with you through this. 
Maybe you find someone in your life. Maybe it's a neighbor that lives down the street. Maybe it's someone around you who has a need. There's something they need, they can't find, and you have extra of it. They're looking for toilet paper, they can't find it, you have extra toilet paper. Maybe you're generous to them and you give to them. Whatever it may be, find a way to be generous to your neighbors. Be the instrument of God to make a lasting impact in their life. Choose to say no to something temporary so that you can be the instrument of God's love in their life and have an impact that lasts much longer, maybe into eternity. Here's the first way I want to challenge you. Be generous towards a neighbor. Find a way this week to do that. Here's the second thing. I want to challenge you. Be generous towards your church. Now, I'm going to level with you. There are some of you that may be turned off by me saying that. But here's why I want to say this to you. Because in this season, we are facing an unbelievable opportunity in our city, in our region, in our world to reach people for Jesus Christ. Here's why I'm motivated to remind you, to remind those of you who are continuing to be generous of the impact that you are making. Because at the beginning of this pandemic, in Broward County, questions on Google about God were up 700%. This is an incredible opportunity and we have seen God continue to do incredible things through this season, through us as a church. Like, let me just give you one story. There is a woman named Amy and she had a friend that uh, attended City Rev and she started, um, they, they said, hey, you should watch City Rev online. And she started watching online at the end of one of the services. She prayed to receive Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. She found salvation for eternity. And she filled out that little form and said, hey, would you send me a Bible? And we sent her a Bible. And then we started talking with her. And we, we started praying with her. And then she jumped in and got involved in one of our small groups. She's now an active member of a City Rev small group. And she actually is now helping out. Out, some of our hosts online. She found a way even to serve. And she's actually helping out uh, the, the woman who leads our host team online, Mine, who lives in Norway. She leads our host team on, online. And now Amy is helping out and finding a way to serve. In fact, when she received her Bible, she actually sent us a picture. Here, check out this picture of Amy. Um, here's a picture of her. This is her in the living room. She received the Bible that we sent her. And I want you to notice her sweatshirt says Michigan. That's because that is where Amy lives. All of that happened across our country in, in Michigan because of the work of what Jesus is choosing to do through his church. I could also tell you of uh, a young woman by the name of Meg who lives in Rhode Island who found what was following some of our social media posts, found a video we post on social media began watching our services. She put her faith in Jesus Christ. We sent her a Bible and since then she's contacted us and said, I've been watching the City Rev Life podcast and it's been so great for me to have a way to continue growing spiritually. I could tell you about Javier who's a, a young man, lives right here in South Florida, who, who had never attended City Rev, but started watching in this season of the pandemic and, and um, put his faith in Jesus Christ, and we sent him a Bible. And so, Javier, um, I want you to know, in one of these days soon, we're going to get to actually see you face-to-face -face and greet you, your brothers and sisters in Christ, who are journeying with you in this season. So, church, 
I want to just share with you a dream. My, in my heart, my hope for that city rev is that we're so, so impassioned to be generous for the work of the Lord. So overflowing with the resources at our church that we can not only continue a mission forward in reaching people in this critical season, but that we can be a resource church for other churches and other ministries here in South Florida during this uncertain season. Be generous to your neighbor. Be generous to your church. And here's the last way I want to challenge you. Be generous towards your city. The month of May is National Foster Care Month. And if you are a subscriber to the City Rev Life podcast, you've heard over the last several weeks several podcast episodes on the subject of foster care. We've interviewed a, a foster parent. We've had um, uh, several discussions about uh, w- reasons to potentially become a foster parent, but we kicked off the month with an interview uh, with um, Kevin Enders, the president of Four Kids of South Florida. And here's what Kevin shared with us on that podcast episode. You can go back and listen to it. He said, what's happening right now is a surge during this quarantine is a surge of domestic violence calls right now. Because these children that are typically in their homes but then have a reprieve by going to school or daycare are now just locked in some of these unsafe homes. And he says what they are bracing for in the foster care field and um, organizations is that as things start to get back to normal and and kids start going to daycare and then eventually they're seen by pediatricians and they start going back to school. And these adults in the community are going to see bruises and start asking questions. There's going to be a surge of children that need a safe home for a period of time. And it provides us an opportunity, church, to show extraordinary generosity and open our homes for the children of our city. I want you to take a look at this video that four kids put together. Um, Check out this video.
What I want to challenge you, church, is in this season, maybe God is calling you to be generous with your home and take in a hurting child that needs a home and you can share the love of Jesus in their life for a season. Now maybe you're hearing this message, you're like, man, this is like the last time that I would possibly be doing something like that. I mean, like, now why would I give to my neighbor? I mean, right now, the wise thing to do is kind of save up, kind of hold, hold on, and, you know, the wise thing to do is make sure that I'm taken care of. I mean, the, why, why would you preach a sermon of all times right now about giving generously to my church? Like, I, I, I mean, yeah, I want to do that eventually, or I used to do that, and, and, you know, but this just seems like the wrong time to start that. I mean, I need everything to stay in my home, to just take, take care of my family and take care of me. Like, this is like the last time I would do that. Or, man, are you serious? Open my home and take in a foster care, a foster child, like, in a season of uncertainty like this? Like, that just seems absolutely just backwards thinking. And yeah, it would be backwards thinking. And absolutely, that seems completely unwise. Unless you're awestruck by God. And you realize he's the only one providing for you. It's really never been your job. It's really never been your skills. It's never been your education. It's never been your intelligence. It's never been your giftedness. It's always been the provider. And so the step is basically a step of obedience when he says, hey, be generous to your neighbor. You be generous to your neighbor. When he says, hey, be generous and be a part of of the mission that's happening at your church. You be generous and be part of that mission. When he says, hey, um, take a step and love on a child and bring them into your home where they can find safety and you can pour the love of Jesus. Go on that adventure. Maybe you take that step. So maybe you want to say, look, okay, I'll take that one step forward. Man, don't miss this opportunity. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Take a step this week. Be so awestruck by God that you have the reflex of generosity, reflecting that generosity in your life, and take a step. Take a step of generosity to your neighbor, your church, and your city. And if you're wanting to take that step, and you're wanting to maybe explore the possibility of becoming a foster parent, here's what you can do. You can email your church family, just email us at foster at cityrev.org. Foster at cityrev.org. Say, hey, I have questions about becoming a foster parent. Or you can go right to the 4Kids website, uh, the number 4kids.us. You can go right to the 4Kids website and you, can, and, and you can get all the information you need there about how to take the next step and get involved. You say, man, in, in this season, why would I be generous? Well, you know what the Bible says? I, I, I love this, this verse in, in Proverbs Chapter 11, verse 25. In fact, this is my, my, one of my wife's favorite verses, and she reminds me of this verse. It says this, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Why should you take a step and be generous? Well, be generous because of the unbelievable generosity God's shown to you. Be generous because you know that he's your provider. Be generous because you want to leave a lasting impact. You want to say no to something that's just going to fade away and you want to leave a lasting impact that will last into eternity. And if for no other reason, because you might be so mired in your own slump that the best thing that you could possibly do is turn your eyes up to God and let him turn your eyes to someone around you in need and refresh them and find refreshment doing that. Because you know what I want to see more of? 
I want to share with you something. I'll close with this. Something that a, um, a young teenager sent us over social media. Here's what she said. We're gonna, we'll call her Jane. She sent us this in the last couple weeks. Hi, my name is Jane. I'm 13 years old. And I was just watching a TikTok of yours of how I can become a child of God. And I began to cry because just moments before that, I was praying to Jesus to tell me how I can become a child of His. And I just want you to know, and I wanted to ask you, what can I do to become a child of Jesus? I hope you answer. Stay safe and God bless you. You better believe that we followed up with Jane and helped her take steps to become a child of God. All the things of earth become strangely dim when you have an opportunity to set your eyes on Jesus and be a part of what he is doing that matters for eternity. But maybe you're like Jane and you say, I want to know how to take that step. I want to become a child of God. That generous act for your redemption, your salvation, for your forgiveness, for your eternity is a generous gift from God and it's a free gift. You just have to accept it. You just have to say, I believe I cannot save myself. I can't be good enough. I can't earn forgiveness. But Jesus purchased forgiveness for me on the cross and I receive that free gift. You can receive that gift. Become a child of God. Know for certain you will spend eternity in heaven and watch him go to work and be the provider in your life. You can take that step on this journey right now and receive that gift. And if that's you, wherever in the world you are watching, just stop right now and let me lead you in this prayer. Are you ready to take that step? Then let me just pray this prayer. Just repeat this prayer after me. Just bow your head and just silently in this quiet moment between you and God say this prayer. Say, God, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for wanting me to be your child. Thank you for the unimaginable generosity you've shown towards me. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe that paid for my sin once and for all. And I believe you rose again from the dead and I too will live forever in heaven. Thank you for saving me. I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, was that your story just then? Was that your moment? And we want to celebrate your story. Ah, we would love to celebrate you just like we celebrated the stories of Amy and Meg and Javier. We'd, we'd love to share the, in this moment with you. So if that was your prayer just then, uh, you, you, there's a space where you can just check on the screen that says, yep, that was me. I put my faith in Jesus. Just click that. It's going to take you to a place where you can just put in a little bit of your information so we can send you a Bible. Or you can see right there in the comments is a link to cityrev.org faith. Just click on that link. Ask you a couple questions. That way we can celebrate with you. We can contact you, pray with you, send you a Bible, walk with you on this journey as a child of God. Would you take a moment and do that? We'd love to celebrate with you. For, for us, church, we're going to close in a time of worship together. I'm going to invite our band to lead us in this time of worship. And here's what we're going to do. I want you to hear these words. If you're at a place where you can sing 
take a moment to sing, listen to these lyrics. And we're going to start this time of worship with a song that our worship ministry has written, written just for us in this season. It's the first time we've played it. The song is called Steadfast. And I want you to hear these words because in times where we feel, feel vulnerable, there is an anchor that makes us feel steadfast. It is our Heavenly Father. Let's worship together. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.